This is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. We're live every Sunday, 10am, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and our website, www.propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you're watching on a website, leave us a Google review and get involved if you're watching on social media in the comments section below. And if you've got any stories that you want us to cover or questions you want to ask us, we have an email address. It's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you don't have time to watch the whole show, uh, you can listen on the move with our podcast, which is available, of course, from all the podcast um, selections that you see there on the right-hand side of your screen. And that is available 10 o'clock every Monday morning. So slightly different uh, show for us this week in the sense that we're going to be looking at uh, pop property posers, I suppose we could call them, or property questions, questions submitted to us that we would uh, people would like our opinions on. It's going to be an interesting show, Joe. Yeah, it's uh, got a different format, Paul. I, I, I love it when you always throw these little mixes in there every so often. Um, but uh, yeah, let's see, let's, let's see what our uh, viewers and listeners have uh, put to us and see what we can do. Okay, well, here's our first question. I suppose we should preface all of our remarks by saying we're neither solicitors nor are we financial advisors. So none of our um, advice comes with any kind of legal prowess, shall we say. But what we do have is the benefit of Joe's near 40 years experience in property. And that'll do for starters, I think. So let's take that first question. I've been uh, renting a property for five years and my tenancy agreement comes to an end in November. Today, I received an email from my landlord, or from the agent that represents the landlord, asking me to vacate the property on the 10th of October. I am stressed as I don't know how quickly we, that's my family and I, will find another property. Last year, he raised the rent from 2,300 to 2,700, and my agent yesterday informed me he now wants to raise the rent to 3,500. What is the legal procedure here? The agent has served as a Section 21. Does this apply when clearly our tenancy agreement states that the tenancy ends on the 10th of November? Please advise, as I'm so stressed and I have no time in managing all this, especially with my work at risk as well. Sounds like a, a desperate plea there, Joe, but um, these sort of situations are not uncommon, are they? No, unfortunately, in the current climate, these are become more and more common. Um, and fundamentally, that's been um, down to the fact that the interest rates have been um, going up at a very, very fast rate. And a lot of landlords that were on um, low fixed rates or perhaps uh, just low um, rates in their mortgage were able to continue to manage them and let them out, let their properties out at the levels that they were. However, 14 stroke 15 rises consecutively pretty much uh, has made it extremely difficult for them. Um, and so they have to sort of think about what they've got to do. Obviously, I don't think it's actually a thing that most landlords want to do, but I, I feel that they probably just have got been put in a position to do, and that is that their mortgage payments are probably um, now higher than potentially the rent they were getting. And so they have there's a couple of choices. One is obviously to negotiate and increase the rent. That doesn't always bode well because you know the people that are in it are not in a position to, to do with it. Second is that they get it vacant and then perhaps sell it on and get out of the uh, buy to let market, which a lot of people have been doing. And we've covered that on our 
recent programs time and time again that the buy to let market has been the market that's been affected the most. Um, and obviously there could be a number of other reasons why people will turn around and say, well, actually it's time for us to, you know, just um, sell the property and, um, uh, and, and you know, perhaps invest their, that money in their own properties. So, but the, the question is obviously, um, it, yes, of course it's stressing the tenant out. I can fully imagine that. Um, and there are things that the, you know, a landlord has to do. Um, and there are things that they could do in, 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 um, connection with the tenant, obviously. Now, it seems like, it sounds like that this has just been sort of put on them. Um, and there may be some underlying issues, Paul, which we obviously don't know. Um, we can only answer the questions based on what we've given. Um, so there would be a, a legal requirement um, under an, a short, short hold tenancy agreement, which is often referred as the AST, um, that they would have to give, a landlord would have to give two months notice and that two months notice can be given after the first six months of a 12 month tenancy or any time thereafter. But it seems like this, this chap has been there for some time um, as he's had a couple, uh, as a, has had a rent increase and now um, where the landlord is either requesting a higher rent or a vacant possession of the property. The chance of the vacant possession is that he's probably thought, well, actually, I'm not going to get the kind of rent that I now need. So maybe it's time for me to vacate and sell. The problem with selling a property with a tenant in it um, also poses another problem. And that problem is that when a buyer, an investor wants to buy it, they are not getting the return on their investment. So they're better off to um, sell it vacant. So there are a number of reasons why that would be, but there is a, a course of action that we need to serve a notice of the section 21, which is obviously giving them two months notice. Now, you know, there are a couple of other notices that are sometimes required. Um, and that is, um, you know, obviously if the tenancy allows for some sort of a, um, a regular increase, an annual increase perhaps in, in um, rent sometimes they're put in um, at a certain level a percentage wise that each year and then some landlords and tenants get very comfortable and just go oh i like the tenant i really don't want to stress them out so for the next year two years three years they don't bother increasing it um all of a sudden they're now in a position where they need to increase it but there is a process that is required and there there is other notices 13 13s is another notice that is required um, to be served, to let them know that they are looking to increase the rent, um, but that has to be in, ta in tandem with their agreement. Now, if they haven't got that in their agreement, then that leaves a little bit, bit of a, a loophole for tenants to sort of say, well, actually, you know, how can I pay you more rent? And because of that, it comes to the point where people say, well, actually, I'm not going to get that increase. I haven't got that in my agreement. So the only thing I can do is request it to be vacant so I can sell it. Yeah, you can't just go uh, uh, increasing the rent unilaterally. Uh, if You're right, a landlord needs to serve a Section 13 notice uh, that gives the right to refer the rent increase to the tribunal. So when you get a 13, you get a chance for a tribunal to say, is this fair? And if the, the rent is fixed across the term uh, with no rent review, then that can't be done outside of that tenancy, clearly. Um, but you just can't bring a, a tenancy to an end with a 
Section 21, that if the landlord issues proceedings, they should be dismissed, uh, according to a solicitor that uh, I read about online. Uh, that will be buy you some time, but don't let the landlord know that it's your intention to do that. Don't agree to the rent increase unless a Section 13 is served. It is unenforceable. Uh, and also, maybe the suggestion just off the top of my head is that maybe start looking for another property in case the landlord finally gets his act together and serves you the right notice. Yes, I, I mean, ultimately, the landlord is entire, entitled to his property um, back. Uh, it's only a matter of time. Um, and if it means that he has to then take the procedure to court uh, and get an eviction and all those other horrible, nasty things that has to happen, then yes, he will get his, um, uh, you know, end date and end day of, of a property becoming vacant. But obviously, it's nicer to try and not do that have a communication with with your landlord and make sure that you know you have a fair and square um circumstances i sympathize with this chat this this chap who's asked raised this question because obviously ha having a family and obviously his concerns about his future work um the stress level i'm sure is is beyond the richter scale um but my advice would be is to you know open dialogue with the landlord uh, directly if possible because sometimes people buy people and they, they he may like what you're doing but if you've got an agent in the middle then if the agent is the agent or perhaps a sub agent it may be that the landlord has actually agreed a sub agency clause which means that the agent theoretically becomes your landlord and uh, because he's providing perhaps a guaranteed rent to the um, the main landlord, the owner of the property. Um, and and so, you know, he may now be in a position, and the agent may be now in a position where he can't continue to afford to pay the amount he has agreed to pay to the landlord. And he may be seeking a vacant possession, obviously with the landlord's consent. So lots of work to be done, lots of checking to be done to make sure that you're, you're, you've got the right advice, the right guidance and the right way to work with this. But it's not something that you can't deal with. Um, and, and can't be dealt with in a orderly uh, fashion um, and, and, and obviously with dialogue. But um, I hope that's helped you with some of the uh, dilemmas that you have. Okay, let's move on to our next one. I wonder if I could have some advice. I'm selling my mum's house as she wants to move to a flat which has assisted living. The house was up for sale for 425,000, which myself and estate agent thought was a reasonable price. So far, we've had two buyers that have pulled out because of the interest rates. Uh, we have now dropped the house price to 390. The last buyer can only get 380 on their mortgage, and we've also been offered 375. I feel as if we've already dropped 35,000. What are your thoughts, please? Yeah, it's again a bit common at the moment, primarily because funding has become a real uh, issue for everybody, uh, not just um, investors, but first time buyers new home movers, home movers in general, you know, they may have had a really good time, um, a good mortgage, good circumstances, but now they've come to a point in their, their journey where, you know, age comes into it, Paul. That's the other thing, you know, they might be now, you know, older um, and therefore cannot borrow over a longer period or borrow as much. So all of these factors are taken into consideration. It also depends the type of property um, the lady is selling or, 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 or the chap is selling for his mother. Um, it may be a property that requires um, work, modernization, updating, 
and maybe the valuers have taken that into consideration as have the buyers um you know uh, <laughs> this is where auction really comes into play um and um if you've got a property and you want to move it and you want to get things done in a much much quicker orderly fashion but still get the best possible price then you know you should consider the auction method of sale if you think about where you started to where you are and you look at the time so if you're six months a year down the road and you've now dropped it 35 40 thousand pounds you know it may have been that in in hindsight if you'd gone down the auction route six months down you would have actually finished and your mum would be in a, a much much safer place where she wants to be and she needs to be and you'd actually be getting on with your life rather than just keep working on this basis i can tell you the current market you know private treaty sales through agency is a very very long-winded process on the average they're taking six months and the fall through rates are much higher than they've ever been so um i would advise um that you perhaps consider um, getting a, an auction valuation. I'm here, of course, happy to do that. Uh, you can always contact me through auctionproperty.co.uk um, and I'll help you guide through that. And if there's, if there's a way that we can get that matter sold and resolved for you quicker, we'll be only too delighted to do that. I guess she has the option, of course, to go back to the assisted living um, premises and say to the uh, owner there, well, look, you know, um, times have moved, the prices have dropped, and make an offer accordingly to try and recoup some of their 35000 Yes, I mean, the thing, the problem with assisted living situations to a large extent is that it is a very, very niche market. I mean, if you, if you said there was 100 buyers, there's probably 0.1% of them that's actually going to be buying the assisted living. It's a very, very low threshold. So it's a specific requirement. And they are already normally fairly well discounted because they are on that basis. So there's very little um, margin normally left in these. Um, and they are normally provided for, uh, as, as it said, assisted living, either for the elderly or for someone that is uh, disabled or whatever. And so that they, they, they can afford the lower prices. So the gap, is not often big enough for a seller of the assisted living or the assisted living people for them to consider reducing that part much more than perhaps the one the equity that the lady has in her own property um, and so you know if there's a normal sale then of course up and down the chain there is some flexibility and everybody has some sort of equity in their property that allows them to have that flexibility but in situations like this it's normally quite tight. I think you're probably just going to have to take a view on the sale of your mum's place um, and and um, and try and get that sold as quickly as possible. When you think about it, they've had two failed purchases, Joe. And um, so how do they ensure that the prospective buyers going forward have the funds in place? Should they consider a deposit as a guarantee? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been an advocate of, of having deposits put in, but unfortunately, the only uh, the deposits through private treaty are not worth the paper they're actually written on unless they've actually exchanged contracts. And that in itself can be very tedious. So obviously, no one is going to exchange contracts on the basis that they are bu they're buying a property perhaps with a mortgage. They're not going to do that until they have a mortgage offer. The mortgage offer in itself is a cycle so first of all they've got to get approved they've got to have their um, criteria checked and then the surveyor's going to carry on and then before they actually get an offer 
So there's no way, let's say a hypothetical take numbers is 400,000 pounds. No one's going to part with 40,000 pounds, not knowing that they haven't got a mortgage um, in situ or in place or an offer on the table. Um, and that's why the fall throughs happen because, you know, the intentions are honorable, but when you actually get into the system, it is hard for uh, a buyer to then turn around and say, well, actually I, I now can't afford what I thought I could afford because the lender has changed their criteria, their lending policy has changed. And so it is, so often you'll see it's always subject to status. And, and uh, if your status does not meet the requirement of the lender, then the chances of you actually getting that mortgage is going to be uh, challenging. Um, and so therefore, uh, any deposit, uh, even if it was put down, is going to be refundable. Um, and that really doesn't have, doesn't show any good strength or good faith. But if you took the auction method of sale, in, then obviously we provide all the paperwork up front, all the legal packages available up front. And most people that buy through auction method of sale know that they've got to exchange contracts immediately um, with the completion date. So they may be in a position of bridge, or they may have their money already, or they may have cash, or they may have um, cash from family or some, some other way to be able to complete that. But it is, um, it is not um, a straightforward deal. And, and so that's why they've had fall throughs. They've had fall throughs because there has been perhaps some reasons why the surveyor hasn't valued it or perhaps the circumstances of the borrower are such that they're not in a position to borrow the amount that they thought they could or their status doesn't allow them to borrow what they think they could. There is the argument, of course, that in the market as it is at the moment, take the money while you can because it could be at 350 by Christmas. Yes, of course, and that's one of the reasons why you know auction method of sale is going to be the right way. I often get many properties like this, where you know they need to move forward quite quickly. It's not because they're desperate. It's not because they there's something wrong with them. It's just that the speed of the transaction allows parents or, or loved ones who need to be uh, put into a, an assisted accommodation to enjoy the peace and the time of whatever's left of their life in a in an orderly fashion and sometimes it's you, you just got to sort of take a view and say well is that the right thing for my family or my, my mother or whatever that relative is going to be or do I try and get the best possible price um, in the marketplace and have the other stress factor of every day being told that I can't climb the stairs or I can't do this and I can't do that so it's just a balancing act Paul that you know you've got to do the right thing by the person you're doing it for I understand it was a personal thing, but if you're actually doing it for your mother and you want to make sure that she enjoys the balance of her life in the right way, then, you know, you should consider the auction method. D completely different uh, tack on this one. I'm a reasonably experienced investor with a small property portfolio, mostly in London. I have around £250,000 in an ISA and a further £100,000 outside of the ISA. The intention was to invest this in property. However, with the changes in the market, such as interest rates, tax, regulation, etc., many people are advising me to leave the money where it is, stocks and shares ISA, and maybe some cash uh, for liquidity. Should I A, keep looking for good deals in residential and or commercial property, 
from the end of 23 to 24, hoping to buy good quality, reasonable yield properties to hold long term in a limited company with all the hassles and unknowns associated, or B, keep the money in an ISA given reduced yields in property for lower but tax efficient and no hassle returns in stocks and shares. I'm currently confused and looking for a bit of a steer. Good question, and I'm sure one that's on many people's lips um, at the other end of their lives, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, very good question. And so I, I'm going to put my caveat in this from the outset that I'm not a mortgage advisor and any guidance that I give are personal and views so that, you know, it's not that we're giving you advice guide. You need to engage with an independent financial advisor. We often have Bob Singh uh, join us and we can always refer you to Bob, who is... Uh, very well versed and um, and knows the uh, financial services market. Um, so that's me covering myself to make sure, but having 40 plus years in property, of course, I'm a property waller. Um, I, I would always say that, that property is always going to be your best investment. Um, and primarily, if I look back for all the years, um, we know that to a large extent, they've always performed well. But the good thing is, obviously, now that the interest rates have risen, bad for mortgage borrowers, but good for savers, is that they are now giving a relatively good return on your savings. So, you know, unless you really fancy the idea of uh, what I call fixing leaky taps um, and, and getting your hands dirty involved in all the shenanigans that can go on with a buy to rent or a or tenancy property or Airbnb and all the other works that are allowed, then of course, probably sit back, enjoy and go and have your cruise and, you know, um, get your money out of your ice there and be tax efficient. Um, but of course, that is a lower return in the long, long term, because obviously there's no capital gain in that. Whereas in a property, you know, you may not get an immediate return on your investment, but what you do do is get a, perhaps a longer return in the capital, you know, with the equity of your property. So you bought something at 300,000 pounds and I don't know, two, three years down the road is worth now 400,000 pounds or 375. Um, you've actually gained some money and probably um, circulated your money and work, work make, made sure that it's actually, you know, giving you some sort of monthly return as well as a capital return on the investment. So from that point of view, property you can't beat, but in the current climate, um, it is a buyer's market, so if you have the funds, um, now is a good time for you to buy. Now is a good time for you to go and take that plunge and invest in your first or second or third buy to let property. Um, but what we are, where we are now in terms of the rates, I think it's got to be the new normal for the future. So whoever invests at this time with the current climate, the current numbers and the current interest rates, is probably got longevity in in their uh, in their portfolio and the way they will deal with it, whether it's through a limited company as a vehicle, a tax efficient or uh, or individual. Those are things that you need to take advice on to make sure that they work for you and your personal um, allowances, your taxation, and so forth. But as a layman, as a as a property guy, I would obviously suggest that you know if you have the money, this is a good time to buy. There are good choices and good opportunities. On the other hand, if you don't want the hassle of it, it's equally a good time to sit back and um, go on the cruise. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things here, isn't there? Um, I mean, obviously, if you're going to get a, a stonking deal because someone needs to get out quickly, then that's uh, that's going to be worth looking at. But uh, on the flip side of that, of course, the market is still falling at the moment. It's very much a buyer's market, as we've been saying. So that investment in terms of what you paid could actually go down in value. But also, when you look at the wider situation, the economy is not exactly settled at the moment. Interest rates aren't settled. Mortgage rates the same. Uh, there's regulation. The renters' reform bill hasn't been ironed out. We've got an election coming. No one knows really what's going on. In the meantime, you can get pretty much on the high street five and a half to six percent in savings, which is not bad when you consider you've got no voids, you've got no leaky taps, no maintenance, no uh, tenants to manage, etc. It is you know five to six percent is a yield that previously um, landlords would have been very happy to take in just not so much as a year to 18 months ago. Uh, so it's a pretty compelling argument for leaving it in the bank, unless, of course, you're an experienced investor in property. Yes, absolutely. As I said, I mean, the returns are good at this moment in time. And of course, if you took long-term fixed rates, some smaller building societies are offering better uh, fixed rates than, than, than even the sort of the 5% and so forth. So, you know, you def it's, it's just a personal thing. Um, but I, I get it. I, I get it that you, you know, there's there's that buzz about owning your your property. There's a buzz about doing it up. There's a buzz about you know, um, getting a good rental return and potentially a, a, a capital return and, and all sorts of other things. So it's just a case of weighing it up, deciding what it is you personally want. But I would think that uh, uh, you could balance it. You could invest some of your money into a property and leave some of it in that guaranteed ISA or, or deposit, whichever the route that might be. On the other hand, you could use all the money and buy hard, in other words, negotiate hard and, and get a deal on a property that is going to be, you know, worth perhaps, you know, another 100,000 pounds, maybe in the next year, two years, 18 months. Um, you know, the truth of it is that, I've said this a million times, that normally over the years, it's always in the drive. Very rarely has it gone into neutral. And I think we've covered it. I think it's about five times that it's actually gone into a reverse property. So it's a fairly safe bet as far as that's concerned. Um, but of course, currently they've been saying that, uh, you know, house prices are dropping by 5% and this, that, the other. What you have to remember is that over the last two years, they've gone up almost 25%. So, you know, 5% in the grand scheme is probably not a great deal if you've gained another 20%. But of course, media and marketing, you know, sells well to say, oh, house prices are dropping because that's how newspapers are sold. But they're not going to drop as dramatically as everybody is, is looking to do. Um, and I think that you'll find a massive change um, in government policy and government transactions, you know, during 2024. Um, especially being that that will be an election year. So there'll be plenty, plenty to look forward to uh, in the property market. But, you know, you're fortunate to have that choice, which six months ago, you didn't have that choice. You'd only be buying property and you probably wouldn't want to see your money sitting in the bank because it was only earning, you know, 0.25% in interest or so. So a great, great position to be in. And I hope that what we've said or given guidance on is, is helpful. Um, but again, I would say if you require, you know, more detailed information about the type of 
uh, financial advice that is available, do contact us and we will put you happily put you in touch with um, someone like Bob who can actually help you through that. Next question is a leasehold question on a flat, Joe. The owner is offering to sell the flat on a 999-year lease, which is fine. Uh, they're offering to sell the lease, not sure how much. Um, is it worth buying the lease on? I think they mean the freehold by that, actually, but uh, is it worth buying the freehold? I can see it would be better owning the lease, but what, or the freehold, but what would that be worth being a first floor flat in a two-storey building and does that affect the shop below in any way? They're not a food or takeaway business. Good question. Yes, I mean, um, yeah, thank you for that question. It is a very good question. And um, where it comes to leases above, uh, sorry, leases on flats separately to leases above um, shops are also considered. And the type of shops that are below can reflect on the kind of lender or borrowing that you may or may not get on the properties that are above shops. So they're two separate scenarios. So let's take it with question number one, which will be like, let's say it's a block and the block that you're buying, you're buying a flat in a block and you've got a lease of um, 75 years. Um, you're just at the borderline. So if you can, when you buy that, you want to buy the idea of uh, increasing that. So uh, budget for what it would cost to increase that lease, you can raise that question with with the um, landlords and ask them, is there, how much would you charge me to increase my lease? Well, um, the lease, the lease, Joe, is 999 years. That's what they're offering. All right. So the 999 year lease is, is a good lease. It's this virtual freehold. So, you know, you may have a share of the freehold and at 999 year, you know, none of us are going to see us through that. So there's no question about that whatsoever. But if it was a lower lease, then yes, you need to negotiate with the landlord to try and get that increased so that it adds value and, uh, and, and of course, uh, allows you to sell it much easier. There are a number of questions about this, isn't there? Because, I mean, obviously, what uh, what state's the building in? I mean, the first thing, you've got to have a full survey, I think, before you decide to take on the freehold. You've got to look at what state the building's in, obviously. Um, and then you're going to have to set up a repair fund because, I mean, buying the freeholds is one thing, but then you've got to make sure that you and presumably if you're going to buy it with the, uh, um, or if you're going to share it with the other flat or if you're going to buy it for yourself, then you've got to put money aside for, for exterior maintenance, haven't you? Well, if you take on board the recent problems that they've had with um, um, the, um, uh, you know, the wall coverings that... Uh, the cladding, yeah. They're adding the, the huge amount of problems that that has caused. You probably won't <laughs> won't want to own a freehold because uh, it falls upon the freeholder to get that sorted. Um, so yes, be careful, cautious, um, and get the right advice to make sure you've got you're buying the right thing. As, as you rightly say, get a full survey done to make sure what is in front of you. Um, and more recently, we've heard of uh, yeah, the type of concretes that have been used and all those things start to cause problems that you probably don't bargain for. So the idea of owning a freehold is always good, um, but you know, make sure that you've, you're, you, what you're buying is what you see as opposed to buying a pup and, and then finding that you know, you've got yourself a real problem going forward. Um, and of course the landlord will be really too delighted. Sometimes, the, the, or the question always is, I suppose, how, wh how and why is the landlord selling? Um, and also why 
perhaps they're even selling it at a relatively lower price so they may already have done some of that work and realized that it's better to get out and let the existing leaseholders have a share of the freehold that they're selling so that they've almost you know um putting that burden on all the people that are actually living in the in the flats or owning the flats as opposed to um having a separate a landlord and leaseholders so a lot of lot of thinking to do to through but it, the idea is always good uh, but it can be very expensive yeah i mean other things i suppose you've got to think about is the ground rent good are the tenants paying the ground rent in the first place um are they challenging the service charges um is there a dispute is that why the landlord's selling it um and uh, uh, just to say the least we must move on because i've got one more for us to discuss in today's show this is a really good question i really want to get your view on this uh, i'm in the process of buying a flat um it's a leasehold it was advertised with a lease of 97 years however the inquiries have just come back from the solicitor and he's informed me that the least let lease left is actually 87 not 97 as advertised i'll probably want to sell it in a few years four to five years from now uh, will i encounter issues wanting to sell is it worth trying to negotiate a drop in the price due to the error they made or asking the vendor to apply for a lease extension good question very good question. Um, so the time that lenders consider used to be two and a half times term as, as, a, as a, a rule of thumb. So their term is 25 years. And they would say to you that we need to know that the lease that you're buying under the mortgage is at least two and a half times that term. So it would be 25, 25, 50 plus half and that's sort of 62 and a half, 65 years is, is, is the borderline of, of what becomes a unsellable property um, in the market to another borrower. But from a lender's risk point of view, they feel that if they've done a 25 year mortgage, then they've still got a value in that asset to some extent, if that has to be sold and have their mortgage repaid. So that's the sort of the way of the thinking is done. Now, when you look at a property that has had a 99 year lease at the outset and it has a balance currently when you're buying it, say um, 87 as opposed to 97, then yes, certainly um, there is room to negotiate the price because that's an error, genuine. It might be a genuine error, it might be just an error. Uh, that the owner thought they had 97 years left and of course the solicitor has revealed that they've only got 87 years left. Um, the point there is that you can either ask the existing seller to give you the authority to increase the lease, i.e. negotiate now, and that's a good thing because if you negotiate with the landlords at this stage then you're not going to be paying a great deal. So just think about the numbers here for a minute Paul. If you're selling a property at 97 years and it was worth 150,000 pounds and 87 years, it may be worth 135 or 140,000 pounds. It might be a 10, 15,000 pound difference. The question you have to ask yourself is, is it worth for the 10, 15,000 pound drop for the landlord that is selling it to ask, sorry, the, uh, the leaseholder that is selling it to ask the landlord to increase the lease for the new guy and they pay for it. So instead of reducing the price, 
and someone else having to do it, it may be that the existing seller could increase the lease for completion, but obviously they pay for the price. So they might be lucky, they might get it done for 10 grand as opposed to 15 grand. So they've actually only lost 10 grand in the actual sale, but they're gonna get a sale through. If you do buy, taking the risk at 87 years and saying, okay, I, you know, uh, I've got um, another 10 years theoretically before it becomes a real issue um, and I might sell it in year three or four and still get my money. That is a risk that you take, but if the market changes, you may not balance that amount out. Um, the bottom number is probably 75 years. So, you know, if you can buy a property at 75 and above, you're fairly safe. 75 and below, because if you buy, buy at 75 years and you then go to, you live there for five years, you're now at 60 years. So, you know, it, it, the lower the lease, the higher the premium to increase the new lease by the landlord. So obviously the sooner you can do it, the better it would be to make sure that you've secured your asset wisely. Looks to me like the uh, the purchase is actually in a very good position here because um, uh, I think probably there's a breach of the Property Misdescriptions Act of 1991 because they haven't sold it, uh, you know, the, the, haven't given the truth, whether that be accidental or not. Um, and also, of course, there's a Section 42 which they can uh, serve, isn't it? Because they can actually get a Section 42 formal request for the lease to be extended at their cost. Uh, because of the uh, error that they've made. So so you can get that uh, lease extended by at least 90 years, and then you can ask for ground uh, ground rent to be put to zero, which is the Section 42. So that's uh, a, a powerful position for them. In. And then even then, you could argue that you could then say, right, OK, and also because of the, uh, the Misdescriptions Act 1991 issue, you could actually say, and I want a discount on the property price as well. Yes, I think. Look, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's not it's not going to be the deal of the century. Um, if you're arguing about ten, fifteen thousand um, pounds to try and drop against what it is, I mean, the seller could turn around and say, "Okay, they made an error; they can't afford to sell, so you know, um, no, no harm's done. We'll just take it off the market." Um, but I think you know, if you if you're almost over over clever and over smart, you'll trip over yourself. But the reality of it is, yes, there are options. There are there is a misdescription, whether it's an error or otherwise. There could be a, a legal pursuit for that. It would probably cost you more to pursue it than what you can actually gain out of it. Um, and then you've got to put a price on your time to do that. Um, and so I think that the, really the reality of things like this is that you know go back to them and, and ask and work with them if they want to sell it and they appreciate the difference, you can ask the current seller to serve the Section 42 notice before they sell so that the buyer doesn't have to wait for two years before they can actually apply to increase that term. Um, so those are areas that you know, your lawyers, your, your convincing people will advise you with um, and suggest what is right to do. And you're absolutely right in pointing out that the Section 42S must be served. Um, the cost of serving that is not, you know, groundbreaking, you know, it's, it's a notice. So whether, you know, the seller um, serves it or the, or the buyer serves it, 
you know, you're probably talking at a couple of hundred pounds, maybe 500 pounds plus back on, on the outside. It's not, not going to, like I said, this is not a deal of the century and it's not going to turn around and make things difficult for you. But it, the seller could very easily, and if you put in that position, if you were the seller and you realized that there was an error, you're very easily just going to say, well, actually, you know, if there's an error, I can't, I can't reduce it. So therefore, I'm going to take it off the market and redo my thing and maybe in a six months, a year's time. And maybe I'll renew the lease and get it up and, and, and sell it at a later time. So there's lots of things to, to, to consider and think about. Um, and time has got a huge value. And time has beaten us once again, Joe. Uh, that's uh, our 40 minutes or thereabouts uh, up for this this one. I hope that was an interesting thing, a, a little bit of a variation for us to take on some property questions, uh, some property poses, if you want to call them that. I hope they were interesting. And, of course, if you've got a question that you'd like to ask us, hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk is our email address. We'll see you again for another Property Matters very soon.